Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Sheldon Fingler. Sheldon is the CEO of a company called Infinity Event Services out of Alberta, Canada. And he's actually the first person that we've actually had on the show that's come from the event rental side. So I'm quite interested just to learn about his experiences, but more importantly, just to learn about how the last 12 to 18 months have been just due to COVID and how much it's had an impact on the event rental side. So Sheldon, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first got involved in the event rental space? Absolutely. So the story is kind of a, a weird and varied one. It, it all started with where I was working before I got into event rentals. Um, so originally I started way back when as a disc jockey, I've been DJing for over 30 years, playing music at weddings, corporate events and such. And I was working full-time. I worked for an organization, a municipality, a local town uh, where I lived and I was the transportation foreman. So I had been doing that, uh, working with the organization for 10 years and I was in the middle of a promotion to Senior Director of Facilities and Services, uh, big title for, for what it was. But at that time, I was in the middle of the promotion and then uh, the politics of a small town and a small organization started to come in and somebody said I was too young to be the boss. Um, and that was sort of the, the start of my demise with the organization. Very shortly thereafter, I was bought out. They gave me a buyout and I was sent on my way. So I had a young child at home. My, my first son was just a young toddler at the time, a couple years old. And I went home and started to try and evaluate my life and figure out what I was going to do. And I'd, I'd been doing DJ work on the weekends and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I ended up with the pressure of my parents because, you know, parents are always trying to tell us to get a real job. Um, they, they gave me help wanted ads and my dad kept pushing me to go for interviews. So I ended up finally going for an interview one day for a job and it was for an audiovisual company in the city. And uh, through the interview, he actually ended offering me four different positions um, from the, the base position to actually one of them was head of a large event center in the city. So it was a pretty good offer. But at the end of that call uh, or end of that meeting, I had said, you know, I really have to take this home and talk it over with my wife. And I, I remember as clear as day, I walked out of the office and I had parked way down the block because I was too cheap to pay for parking because it was paid parking there at the time. And I had no money. I was, you know, young and family at home and things like that. So as I was walking out, I pulled out my flip phone and I phoned my wife and I said, you know, I'm done working for people. And she had said to me, she goes, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't get the job. I said, no, actually, I got four different offers. And she couldn't understand why at this point, you know, here I am, you know, baby at home and things like that. And she wasn't working. And why wouldn't I take a job? And I told her, I just, I was done working for other people. And that's when I started changing my company from uh, a DJ company into a full event company. That was really the first step. And that day... My wife gave me full support and we started it in from infinite entertainment into infinite event services and transitioned to a full event service company. And that was really where it all started. Wow. So I want to touch on a couple of things here. So you said that at your first job, you were, you were getting the promotions and working your way up the ladder. And someone said that you're too young to be in that position. 
So how did that make you feel? Because I think this is a really important question because we're going through a bit of a, I guess, a change of the guard at the moment. There's a lot of young people moving into management positions through the industry and through all industries, really. So there is going to be this situation with other people. So it'd be great just to understand your mindset of what, how that made you feel, because it's really important to educate other people to make sure that they don't make that assumption as well. Well, Mark, that's probably, you're the first person that actually asked me that because I've told my story about why, why I went where I did and what I've done since, but nobody's asked me how I felt and it was devastating. Uh, the second that I was brought into that office and told that I was too young for the promotion and, you know, it was the politics of a small town and union people and all this other stuff, but it was, it was devastating. I, I literally sat at home for the first almost two months after that, just really honestly feeling sorry for myself, not knowing what to do. Um, it was, it was a blow to my entire ego um, and it shook me to the foundation. So I, I was devastated at that. And then I ended up going out and buying a book and it was a book by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And it sort of turned my mentality around it because I was really stuck in a rut and I've always believed in, you know, a lot of those motivational type things. So I went and bought that Think and Grow Rich book and thank God I did because it really pushed me to change my thinking and start thinking about the optimism and what I could do instead of what I couldn't. Like thinking through it, like you've obviously had the ability to start your own company, grow that company into an amazing company. Imagine if they fostered you as a young person in that organization, what you could have done for that organization. And so it, it really makes me think how many, how many good employees with a lot of potential get dissatisfied or um, almost depressed by just side comments from people within organizations. Well, and you know, that's the thing. So many times people focus on the hierarchy of the organization and they go, you know, this, the tenure, this person's been here for longer. So he deserves the next promotion. You know, when I got promoted in the organization that I was in, I started out actually as a garbage man. I, I was brought on four days a week as a garbage man. And it's interesting because before that, uh, I was on the ambulance. I was an emergency medical technician and they contracted out the service. So here I was saving lives one day and the next day I was picking up garbage. And the, the weirdest part is I was making more money picking up garbage than I did saving lives, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but I was really motivated. Like my boss at the time told me, he said, Sheldon, when you're done what you've got to do, you wash your truck and I don't care what you do for the rest of the day. We need you to do your job, but after that, you could sit around, you could read books, you could watch TV. I don't care what you do as long as your job's done. But I was never the person that just took advantage and sat around and did nothing. I still had to punch out at four o'clock, that was the rule. But not one day did I ever sit around and do nothing. I took opportunities, jumped on other crews, I jumped on the roads crew, I jumped on the water and sewer crew, digging trenches and fixing sewers and water lines. Uh, the parks and recreation crew, I'd cut grass in fields. I did everything I could so that I could be a better employee. And so, so it was devastating that they thought that because of my age, I was not the right fit because I had literally done everything I could to better myself, but also to better the organization. And I, I wanted to retire there. It was my dream job. It was at the time, it was my dream job. Thank God it's not anymore again, but at the time, I was really committed. I would have never turned my back on them. So it was, 
it was weird the way it played out, but also a blessing in disguise because it's turned into what it is today for me and the life that I have now. So then talk to me through how you first got that drive because saying yes to opportunities when you're a young person in an organization isn't something that just comes natural. So where did you get that from? You know, I think it started when I was young. Like my parents, they volunteered for different community groups. They did things around the town. Uh, my dad was also a wedding photographer on the weekends. And with that, my mom helped him. So they would go out every weekend and do extra work. But I also, they implemented in me or instilled in me, I guess, as a young child, that the need for a job and doing what we want to do and to get our own money. So I had a paper route when I was a little kid. And then um, I had the opportunity to start as a DJ with a friend in the community. And it was interesting because at the time, my parents didn't even want me doing that because it was late nights and all this crazy stuff around people with drinking and that. And But it was, it was just always a drive to have money and, and be able to do things. But it just, it was, it was all those things combined from my parents teaching me work ethic and what they did besides the volunteering and having a side hustle, doing the photography and all of that stuff. Like it was just always there. So I just kind of did it. And I was always motivated to be the very best in the organization that I could be. Like when I worked on the ambulance and I was there, I started out as a volunteer. And uh, I started out that when I was in high school, I was 16 years old volunteering on the ambulance and when the full-time position came up they saw my commitment because after high school i had also just volunteered full-time for a while i spent 24 hours a day on call in a small town and so i've always just had that drive in me and then really the turning point that brought it to that next level was when i read think and grow rich for me that was a big turning point because it really opened me up to seeing opportunities even beyond what's visible like going that next level. And then your comment was, I never want to work for another person again or have a boss, I think the comment was. So yeah, what was that trigger? Like, how did, well, talk me through how that played out. That was really all around the devastation of having a dream and being really committed to an organization and then having them pull that rug out from underneath me. Like I was, my heart was in that job everything about me was dedicated to that organization and like even when they told me they said you know you're not going to get the promotion things are going to change i said i'm okay leave me where i am i'll stay i'm i love what i'm doing i'm here i'm dedicated i'll, I'll keep doing things but one they they just still pulled that rug and i could never see putting myself in that position again letting somebody else control my destiny i really needed to control my own yeah, I think so many people go through this scenario. Like, how old were you when, when this occurred? When the, how old were you when the first instance occurred where someone said, no, nah, you're not old enough? And how old were you when you said, no, nah, this, this is enough is enough? So I was, when I was with the town, trying to think my age, I got to go back because I've been doing the event rental thing for about 17 years. So 10 years before that, so 27 years ago, would have put me at 21 years old. Um, you know, wow. when, when I started with the organization and, uh, or no, I, well, I, no, I was younger than that when I started with the organization, I'm bad with dates, but uh, I started basically with them around 20 years old and 30 years old was when I left. So I guess, yeah, that makes sense. So around 30 years old, when I left 
that organization. And I just couldn't see letting somebody else have that control anymore. Yeah, well, 10 years with an organization is a long time as well. It's, it's a, you, you learn a lot, like you become part of the family. Like as you would know with your organization now, when you've got an employee that's been there for 10 years, like they, they are part of your family. There's, there's, there's a bond there. And you know, it's, there is like, when this pandemic hit, it, it was tough. You know, here, I'm an event rental business. Like I was faced with zero income. Like I was, we had, I bought a new warehouse February 1st, 2020 was the possession date. March 15th, the world closed. So I had staff that I, I truly cared about and that have been with me. You know, Colin, who's running my studio, started with me when he was 14 years old. He's 22 now. Um, my son, who works for me full time now still, um, obviously started with me when he was born, basically. <laughs> and then uh, Ed, who's been with me, he's been with me about eight years as well, somewhere in there, seven, eight years. These are long-term guys. So when the pandemic hit, I said, you know, guys, I'm probably going to have no choice. I'm going to lay you off, but I've got a personal commitment to you that I'm going to top up whatever unemployment insurance or employment insurance, as they call it, uh, won't cover. I said, I'll do my, my best. I'll top you up as long as I can. And then our government announced a wage subsidy of 75% of employees' wages for businesses affected. And we definitely qualified with a 98 to 99% loss of income. So I was able to bring my guys back. And it was the biggest reason I brought them back and promised that they wouldn't lose a penny is because I'm nothing without them. They've been a, such a huge part of my company. And I didn't want to ever leave somebody feeling like the way that my employer had left me feel. Like I wanted people to know that I cared about them. I think people learn a lot through experiences. And, and what, what's the quote? The quote is, people will forgive you what you say, but they won't forgive you for how you make them feel. There's a, yes. a famous quote out there for that. And I think that applies to so many different things. And it, the way, when someone feels something that someone's uh, applied to them, like they'll, they'll never forget that. And almost like whenever you see that person, you, it brings like a bad memory almost. Like when you see them again, it's like, oh, yeah. oh this, this again. So it's, it's great that you've got that. And it's not like you've just forgotten about it. You apply it to your business today and, and with your employees as well. Well, and you know, it's, it's amazing. I've been blessed through the years. I've had a lot of good relationships with my employees and there's two employees that worked with me just on the DJ side, mostly. Um, but through the years when they were with me, they were both with me for about five years. And at separate times when they were with me, both of them had come to me at different times, telling me that I was more of a father to them than their own fathers. And, you know, it's, it's heart wrenching that they didn't have that at home. But at the same point, I've always been committed to the people that commit to me and I'll do anything I can for them and I'll help them in any way I can to help make their lives better because that makes everybody better. Mm, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Infinity Event Services. So talk me through the moment that you said, I'm taking this DJ thing to the next level. Just give me the rundown of how that transitioned into the into the business. Yeah, absolutely. So it was it was rather ironic because when I decided to transition into it full time, uh, we started, you know, I, I went actually to a private members club. I went to different hotels and stuff and started offering audiovisual services because audiovisual rentals was an easy part. I already had some of the equipment as a DJ. So I started relationships there and started building 
that clientele. And that actually started to do quite well. We started doing more and more audiovisual stuff. And then I started with some chair covers and a backdrop. And uh, uh, the backdrop took up half of my garage and my living room started out with just a small amount of chair covers. And then by the time we moved out of my living room to our first storage unit, we had had floor to ceiling chair covers. It was absolutely crazy. So it was that little step there. And then one day I had a customer call me. I've always said yes to customers. That's always been my thing. I say yes. Customer called me and they wanted a popcorn machine. So I went into a company in the city and they had a rental division, but I didn't want to rent from them. I wanted to buy and build my inventory. So I bought a popcorn machine and I just jokingly said with the, the owner team there, as you know, if you ever want to sell your rental division, let me know. Well, I think it was probably three weeks later, I was driving with my dad out to do something and I got a phone call and they said, yeah, you know, we're, we're interested in selling. So I was like, well, what, you know, opportunity knocks, you've got to take a chance. And so I made them an offer that I thought there was no way they would accept. And I made it low, hoping they'd counter um, somewhere in the middle of what I thought they wanted. And they came back and said, yes. So all of a sudden, boom, I was in the concession equipment rental. I had popcorn machine, hot dog machine, nacho machine, slush machine, snow cone machine, all these different things. So my business grew there. And it was just, that kind of step has happened to me over and over, but it's always been saying yes to my customers. When customers call and want something, I just typically say yes, and I make it happen. So my inventory started with, you know, out of a living room in a garage into, I first went to a storage unit out in the small town where I live. And then I went to a second storage unit, then a third one, then a fourth one. And I was like, it was crazy. And then I finally entered a commercial lease in uh, a city just, 15 minutes away. And I was terrified. I thought there's no way I'll be able to make these $750 payments every month. I, I was just terrified by it. And I thought I would never fill up the space. And that was, you know, it was crazy because by the time I left that space, I had taken over three of his warehouse spaces in the same building. And I was in the middle of going to a fourth one and an opportunity came for me to buy my first warehouse. And then things just happened over and over again the right way. I ended up buying the neighboring warehouse and then I bought the other neighboring warehouse in that block and we ended up owning a whole bunch of stuff there. And then in February, I took place, possession of my new place, which uh, bad timing because it was right before the pandemic, but still through it all, we've been very diligent. We haven't had to push our mortgage. We, that's the one thing I've been very uh, focused on is trying to stay all of our payments up to date and stay focused on continuing to have a business even through all of this. But it's it's that ability to say yes that I think has grown my business the most. Yeah. And it, and it obviously comes from the early days as well, that, that mentality of wanting to do more, wanting to learn, knowing that there's more opportunity out there and continuing to grow and not settle. So almost continuous improvement within your business. And well. absolutely. And, and that's always been the thing. Exactly like you say, Mark, it's always doing extra. If a customer did this or wanted this, I'd do that. I'd always do more. That was my goal all along was just to keep doing more than they expected. Mm. And so what areas do you provide equipment to? What's your range? So equipment wise or space wise, like city wise? Uh, city-wise. 
So we focus on Edmonton mostly. Um, Edmonton is a, a fairly large city, so it's really the focus of our economy. Um, now, with that being said, this year and last year, the pandemic having played an entire 180 on our business plans, um, we're spreading out. We're doing tents a little further away than we like to normally go. Uh, we typically wanted to stay within a half an hour radius of the city. Um, and now with the pandemic, we're pretty much willing to travel anywhere three, four hour drive away to service customers. And actually, Blake, who's been on your podcast from All Choice Rentals, uh, booked me and I did a tent just south of uh, us here a ways, about three hours south down by Calgary, which is another major city in Alberta. And that was through Blake. So uh, relationships have been a big part of that as well. With the COVID-19 and, and the pandemic and everything that's happened, like the event rental industry just got absolutely smashed. So you spoke about it a little bit before. So did it literally go from business as usual to nothing? <laughs> like, was, that the, was that the transition? It was, it, it's hard. I, I can't even think of words to, to bring it to reality. It was literally a turning off the tap and it was over. Like I saw my business stop. Like, everything we had done and everything we had built for 17 years um and if i really went back starting 30 years ago when i started djing i'd been building ever since then but 17 years of really strong growth in the rental industry turned off overnight like literally to zero every event we had cancelled we had been mostly my team we'd been setting up for a large volunteer uh event out in leduc another city just by us for the Chamber of Commerce there, for their, their members, a business awards gala, I guess, not a volunteer event. And my team had spent two and a half days setting up for this event. Chairs, decor, pipe and drape, video, sound, lighting, like absolutely everything. They had completed the event and the event organizer called us and said, we're canceling. So not only did it get turned off, but we had finished an event prep. We'd done all the work except had the event and we had to go back and take it all down and there was no event. So it went to zero pretty quickly and it stayed there for quite a while. How long until you got some types of uh, subsidy from the government? So was there like a, a four week period, an eight week period where it was like, am I going to survive? Or like, how did that sort of go down? It was it was about two and a half, three weeks, I think, before they started doing some announcements of subsidies and stuff. And that's when we got a glimmer of hope. But it was so weird, too, because we had taken possession of our place on February 1st. We had moved a bunch of stuff over. But I had sold my old warehouses to a friend of mine, two out of the three. And that was another stress. He was supposed to buy all three. Something happened. He didn't buy the third one. So, so now I had to carry the mortgage on that plus the mortgage on my new location. And we had to move all our stuff over still. So he had given me a bit of extra time. So here we are in March and the world shuts down, but we still have to move another warehouse and a half of equipment over to our new location. And on top of that, we had to move 20 shipping container sea cans and they were all full. So we had to come up with a plan to do all that. So working with my team through the pandemic, we, we actually spent the start of it moving everything over. So even though there was no business coming in, 
my team was able to stay busy because we were moving all of our assets to our new location. So some people say it's a blessing in disguise, and I still don't see it that way. I, I've never seen this pandemic as a blessing in any way. Uh, it did give us some time that we needed to move stuff over. And literally down to, I had bought a trailer uh, to move our own shipping containers. And one of the pivots I did after we started moving our own shipping containers from the old yard to the new one was I advertised on Facebook Marketplace. And in Alberta, we have a thing called Kijiji, uh, which is like a Craigslist type thing for advertising services. And I advertised moving shipping containers. And my team, who are event people, we went out and moved shipping containers for a couple hundred dollars a shot just to put some money in the bank. So it was all about pivot and doing different things through the whole thing. And that's also what led to us getting into, we started doing a lot more tents and stuff in the summer because people were able to have outdoor weddings. So that gave us a little more glimmer of hope. Um, and then the government did a couple other things, but all in all, the event rental industry has been left far behind so many other industries. You know, we're just not, we're not big enough on their radar that we matter. And yeah, I think the key word there is that you needed to adopt. If you just stayed still in what was happening, your business was probably going to go under. Like it was, there's, there's no way, because just the rent in that new warehouse by itself would have been well, crazy. So yeah, so what other things did you do to adapt in that in that process? And it's funny, before I tell you how we adapt, it's funny you mentioned the rent because we own the building, we bought it. And one of the things our government and uh, they announced was a rent subsidy. If you were a renter, you qualified for a subsidy, but as a building owner, we didn't. So I had friends that were qualifying for great subsidies on their, their businesses because they rented, but we owned, so we didn't qualify for that. So it was crazy. And then, you know, back to the question of, of adapting, you know, we really, when things started to slow down on tenting in September, because it starts to cool off here and it becomes unfeasible to do outdoor events, uh, we transitioned and started to do some virtual events, which we built a studio, which I'm in now. And when we transitioned to do virtual events, it was it started with one customer wanting something and we said yes. And some of the stuff was beyond our ability at the time. We didn't know exactly what to do but we spent hours and hours learning. I, I literally would go home after working every day and I would spend a minimum of four hours a day watching tutorials on YouTube of different things I could do and to learn to elevate and do better things. Sometimes four hours, sometimes six or seven hours, I watched hour upon hour of video learning and we built a virtual studio. And that has been an absolute blessing for our business because it has been really one of our only steady flows of income. Uh, we're doing everything in here from comedy shows. We work with a comedy club in Canada's largest mall. Uh, they're now doing virtual shows from our studio here. Uh, we've done private comedy shows, different comedians for corporate events. We've managed conferences. Um, just recently, we were doing an event for uh, a government agency and they were doing a thing with the mayor of New York and all these kinds of crazy things. So that virtual studio has positioned us to at least continue to stay relevant and stay active and have some income. Although it's not the same as what we're used to, it's something. 
Yeah, well, it's by far the best setup I've seen on any of my podcast interviews so far. So for anyone that can't see what we're looking at at the moment with Sheldon, he's got this unbelievable background. Looks like he's on a, a talk show or something, and his audio is obviously very, very good. And he's even got different cameras that he can pan to throughout the discussion if we wanted to as well. So that's that's an amazing... There we go. <laughs> we're at diff camera two now. So it's amazing. So, so then I guess in my mind... Like, let's just say in a year's time when, or hopefully shorter, uh, when events start picking up a bit more, you've got another business here that you can run. Like, you've got another division, basically. Are you going to keep doing this? Is this like another division that you're going to set up or keep within the organ- like the same organization? Well, you know, and it, it's, it's funny you ask, Mark, because when we started this, we thought it would be temporary. We really thought, we'll transition, we'll do this well, we have to do this, and we'll get out of this and go back to doing our live events. The reality is this is here to stay. Um, we invested in the studio itself from where we started to where we are now. We've we've changed out curtains, we've changed out TVs, we've changed out the rigging and stuff that we do our TVs on, we've changed out the cameras, we've, we've invested in a new switcher, we've spent, um, and, and it's weird to say through a pandemic, but we've probably spent 20 to $25,000 on, this room and what we do in it and then even last weekend we were double booked so we had to build a second studio downstairs so we were so busy that we had an event here friday and saturday with one person saturday morning we were supposed to have one event but the guy screwed up on his time so we couldn't host him Uh, but then we had a, a morning event and then in the evening we did another event so our team was hopping and it was it almost seemed like a real day back at work because we started early, we ended late. Um, it felt fantastic for people in the event industry. We're used to long, hard grinds and, and it, we miss it. So it was kind of cool being back to normal for a day. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing story of, of how you've taken a bad situation and try and make the most out of it. Because in two years or a year, whatever it's going to be, clearly you're going to be ahead of everyone else potentially because they might have been sitting still and just waiting for things to fix up where you've taken that and really grasped it and i think it all comes back down to the original thing we spoke about about having that mentality of of uh, continuously improving uh, having the right mindset mindset not just to sit still and just accept things and actually put yourself out there and, and take on opportunities like this absolutely and I, and I give full credit again i go back to i'm a big believer in, in putting your mind into the right space for doing this um, and the, the think and grow rich mentality and another book I read was called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson, which is always improving, always doing more. And uh, that's what we've done with our studio. We did our first show and we took feedback from the first show and we changed it to make it better for the second show. And the second show we took feedback, made it better for the third show. And we've evolved along the way to make it better and better every single time. And everybody that's been in here more than once has said, wow, I've noticed the improvement. And we do that so that we can be the best at what we're doing, deliver the best product, and then bring those people back so that they, well, so that we get the revenue and we get to work and they get the value on their end too. So you mentioned that like in the the scheme of things, like the event rental industry is just a little blip in the ocean for the government. And so sometimes they don't even realize how impacted some uh, industries are uh, just through their sub- the subsidies that they're putting out. The, a really good example is the rent one where you own your building. So yeah. how do you think the, the government or maybe the community can further support the event rental industry? Well, that, that, that's an important one because 
a lot of times we're faced with the reality, you know, everybody wants the best deal. And when we come out of this, a lot of people have to understand that these are businesses that have been without a real income for a long time. You know, we've been over a year already without a real income. We've had some money coming in, but it's a fraction of what we're used to. And it's a fraction of what we need to survive. And coming out of this, everybody is looking at raising their prices. Everybody is looking at charging for services that they may have thrown in before. Um, when we get through this, it's not the time to ask for a discount and it's the time to host more events. It's the time to show appreciation for your clients, show appreciation for your staff and hold an event, hold a barbecue, hold something and contact a rental company. One of the biggest things that drives me nuts is, you know, people calling and they want to price on a tent and they say, oh my gosh, that tent is so expensive. I could buy my own. Well, we buy engineered structures. We buy proper things that are designed for wind loads of a hundred and some kilometers an hour. Whereas the tents they're buying from th these other dealers are rated for 40 kilometers an hour. They're not engineered. They're not the same. So don't compare us to what you could buy at, at Walmart. Compare us to what is a real structure. Compare us to what we're providing. We're not providing a $500 barbecue. We're providing a $4,000 barbecue for your event or whatever it is. We, we are providing a great service and typically for way under value of what it should be. So you know, we need those customers to understand where we're coming from as businesses. And we're not trying to make all our money off of one customer. We're trying to survive. Yeah. And, and it's a real challenge. And you, you talk about Blake from All Choice Rentals. Like he, he's very passionate about keeping rental rates steady. And if, if anything, going yeah. up. And he, he always talks about the equipment prices going up, rental rates going down. So it's, it, it's a thing that's common across the rental industry as a whole. And I think as soon as discounting starts kicking in and people are, it's pretty much just a race to the bottom. And yeah. once they start doing that, it's almost another pandemic. It's another form of a pandemic where people are chopping at the bits to like really take out other businesses because they're just trying to get as much money uh, once the bit, like the floodgates open again for business. And you've hit the nail on the head, Mark. That's, that's the problem. Uh, and we're even seeing some of that now. Businesses that would normally rent, because now our, our province is allowing patio dining, so people are renting a tent for a month at a time, and they're going out and having events and, and hosting their patrons on the patio. Now, normally that tent would go out for five or six times a day rate for a month, which is even still cheap. But we've got companies in the city that are renting it out for the one day rate for an entire month now just because they need the income. And it's unfortunate that they're in that position, but they're in that position because the in industry as a whole is not working together to hold the rates and do what's right. You know, this isn't the time to fire sale our event rental need our, our items. This is the time to hold our value and prove to the customers what we're worth. And the fact is we are worth that. So it's unfortunate that they're already starting that. We've been holding off and not doing that because I think it drink, drags the whole industry down. Uh, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. So, so let's just fast forward five to 10 years. Where do you see the event industry landscape looking like, let's say like 2030? So I, th I think the landscape as a whole from the, the event side has changed forever. Um, lots of people are saying it's going to be the same. We're going to get back to normal. No, it's truly changed forever. 
There are things that people will implement going forward that have changed forever. There are companies that have said to their employees, instead of doing a Christmas party, we're going to give a Christmas bonus. And their employees have said, we like the cash. So now those, those companies may never hold a Christmas party ever again. That affects the hotel where they were holding it, the, the food supplier that's supplying the food for the event, the DJ, the event decor company, the linens, all of those things, everything that happens for that event is affected because that event will never happen again. Now, with that being said, I still feel good. I, I know there's going to be events and I know we're going to have great events and it's, there's still going to be people committed to doing the real life thing. But I think it will change. I think where people would fly a speaker from Australia to Edmonton to speak on a topic, maybe now they're going to Zoom just like this, and they're going to have that person come in on a video conference for a session at a large seminar or a symposium instead of flying them in and doing the cost that way. So that affects the airlines. That affects all these other trickle-down things, the cab companies, the limo companies. All those other things are going to be affected. So the face of industries will change. Um, I don't think it'll be as devastating as some people think. I think we're still going to have a really good events, but I think they're going to be more focused on regionally. People will stay a little more focused on local instead of going way far out just to uh, stay away from the potential issues. Yeah, you can see even just with you setting up your, your business, having uh, online events, so many more people are educated in how they can present themselves uh, through an online presence to because speakers is a great example. Like people that were speakers uh, that weren't going to be these high flyers that were getting paid millions of dollars to speak, just the just the average speaker, they lost their jobs as well. Like they, they overnight they lost their jobs, so they had to adopt to like people like you that could help them provide that means. So they're probably thinking, wait, do I want to go back to speaking in person or should I try and do this as well? So like there's there's probably a lot happening in so many different industries. Um, and even just people working from home as well. Like, so I've, I spoke to so many companies that are talking about, well, we've got this big space we rent. Maybe we only need to rent half of it now and the other half can work from home. So, yeah, I think the, the world's changed forever, I think. And it'll be just interesting to see how the event side of it plays out because it's, it, I definitely wanted to see it pick up again because it, it's uh, such an important factor in, uh, in, in the scheme of things with rental as well. Yeah, and, and humans are social creatures, so we want to get together. That's why the pandemic's been so hard on people. So people want to get together, so events will be back. You know, there's, I have total faith that it will be back, but when you mentioned the realty and the fact that people, re, they won't be renting those large office spaces anymore, that's a significant impact because that changes the landscape of so many other things. So yeah, it is a, it's a long-term effect. How important do you think trade associations like the Canadian Rental Association and the American Rental Association are to the event and equipment rental industry? Well, I'm a big fan of, of rental associations. I'm a member of both. Uh, and I'm the current vice president of the Canadian Rental Association, something you may have not known before the call either. So it's fantastic that you ask. And, and the rental association for me has been absolutely fantastic because they've been really good at addressing our issues with government, especially the event rental specific. And uh, they even lobbied, for example, when the provinces were shutting down across Canada, uh, they lobbied to have rental services as an essential service because people still needed to rent to do so many of these big builds. And, you know, there's things being built all over the world, hospitals and things like they got to continue. 
Um, so the government was lobbied by the association, and that was a significant help to that. Uh, and associations for me have been one of the biggest things that have helped me. I didn't know about the rental association for so many years. And then when I joined, my eyes opened so much to so much more information. It was like a floodgate. There was all this new information, new suppliers, better connections. There was a rental show that we could go to this big trade show. There was so much I learned and being able to connect to people from across multiple countries and learn from them because people in my city aren't going to share with me the answers to business questions, but somebody in New York or somebody in Idaho will share freely and openly. And I've been able to create relationships with people across Canada and the US and get so much more information to help my business grow. And just the way we've done things has been so much easier. And a lot of that has been through relationships through the association. And I, I think what the associations do besides that, you know, there's all the insurance discounts and things like that, and all the different programs that they offer. But I don't think there's anything better than the opportunity to connect that an association could do. And I don't really know of any other way. The Facebook groups don't do it the same way as the associations and talking to somebody at a conference and those opportunities are priceless. Uh, networking is definitely number one for me as well. Like just going there to meet other people and learn from them. And, and that sort of helped me start this podcast as well. Like the, just the, all the people that I've met over the years at, at the various trade associations, a lot of them are people that I've met at, uh, at these events. And, and then those people recommend I interview other people that they also met at these events. So it's, it's, it's all like a bit of a, a, a they're all connected as well. And I, I always talk about the equipment rental industry and the, and the event in rental industry being very, very unique where when you look at most industries, competitors, doesn't matter where they are, they avoid each other. Like they're, yeah. they're almost always competing. The rental industry, people are, it's like a community. People, people want to work for each other. They want to help each other. And it, it's, it's a very unique thing. And, and I always try and spread the word to educate people that are outside of the rental industry to learn more about it because it's something that's, again, it's, it's, still, it's a niche, it's a niche market. It is. And, you know, it's you mentioned that. And I talked we talked about Blake a couple of times from All Choice, and he's been a great relationship that I met through the association. And he he's had me do tents down by Calgary. I'm doing a stage for him for the graduation in the town that he's he's got his business in. And we're doing all kinds of things. And that's through that network. This morning, I had a gentleman from another rental company in the city here doing a recording of a little video that he needed to release for the Canadian Rental Association. And him and I got talking and I found out he's got a whole bunch of heaters that are perfect for tent rentals, which I don't have enough of, and I know we're going to need them this summer. So it's opening up opportunities that we may not have known otherwise. And the willingness to help each other out is absolutely incredible. So if someone was new and they were joining the event rental industry, what advice would you give to them? I jokingly said earlier, stay out of it. <laughs> because you know you never know where where something like this can turn but i told a bunch of rental professionals with the canadian rental association at a, a little get together we were at i said the event rental business is amazing because it, it's steady no matter what people never stop getting married people never stop having events 
it is the most solid industry you could ever be in. And then the worldwide pandemic taught me a lesson that it's not totally immune to change and things like that. But I would tell people if they're getting involved, find a mentor and do that early. I really wish I would have had a mentor and joined the associations early. Um, had I known what I learned when I joined the association, the Canadian Rental Association, and, and met the people that I did and started to create those relationships. If I would have done that when I started my business, I would be five to 10 years ahead of where I am now, and the growth would be explosive. It would be absolutely incredible because I'd be that much further along. You know, I can't say it enough. No, I completely agree. And It'll be interesting to see how many new entrances there are into the industry because uh, once it does start booming, may, maybe there'll be new people that are joining. Maybe there'll be people that got laid off. People got laid off and the, they can see the boom happening or picking back up again and they want to start their own business. So I think there will be a lot of new people out there and they are going to need mentors like you mentioned. Like That's probably those. Don't never do it on your own. Like It's a very yeah. lonely place if you try and do it on your own always try and have someone i guess that's one of my follow-up questions to what you said you, you mentioned find a mentor so who for, for you was a big influence on your career as a mentor potentially you know it's funny i finding a mentor is one of the hardest things in the world and i i just look back at my parents and work ethic and they've always you know working the side hustle and doing what they did and they've always just shown me how to work and, and that's kind of been instilled in me, which is ironic because they didn't want me to start my own business. They wanted me to get a real job. They didn't want me to go down this path. And my mom was actually my first full-time employee, which is a funny story. She was working at a job and she was unhappy. Uh, they had done some weird things at work. And I said one night to her, she, she was crying about her work. And I said, you know what, just quit your job, come work for me. I'll pay you more than you're making there. And I had no idea what she was making. So it was a pretty dangerous statement. And they never said too much about it. My mom and dad were there that night and they never said much. But a couple of days later, my dad asked me, he said, you know, were you serious about mom quitting and coming to work for you? I was like, yeah, I'm 100% serious. Nobody works like family. And a little while later, my mom broached the subject with me again and brought it up. And she says, are you serious? And I said, yes, I'll pay you more than you're making now. And I can't remember the amount I told her, I said, but I said, would this amount work? And she's like, oh, that's, that's way more than I'm making now. I said, well, I'll pay you that right now. Start tomorrow. Um, she, of course, had to give her two weeks notice. She's from a generation that had to follow through and be loyal. And I respect that. And she came to work for me then. And nobody is as loyal as your parents. But also, although we fought and had these things because it's tough working with your mom every day, because she's your mom and she tells you what to do and you're the boss, you tell her what to do. So it gets a little awkward sometimes, but I've always learned so much from my parents because they know how to work hard and you know, they've never said no. Uh, my, my dad has had multiple back surgeries and shoulder surgeries and he's in rough shape, but if I ever call him to help me, he's there no matter what. And uh, my mom, same thing. It doesn't matter what's going on or how sore and tired and worn out she is she's there and they're getting on in their years. But if I called them tomorrow, they're here. And that means so much. And that's, that's been a mentor thing for me. And they've taught me so much. 
And I think what's important is, and you referenced this earlier on, if you don't have parents <clears throat> that are going to provide that that guidance or that that mentorship, you, you need to find someone. And it sounds it sounds like you've got some employees that, that have gone through some rough times, and and they've almost seen you as that father figure or that that, that mentor. So. People need to, as I said, I'll say it again, like people need to realize that they, they can't, they shouldn't do it on, on their own. Like you're not yeah. expected to figure everything out on your own. Like everyone else is learning from everybody. It's not like I just know one day what to do. Like it's all about like sharing knowledge and, and getting advice and getting, getting constructive criticism and, and feedback yeah. and, and taking that and applying it <clears throat> to your life and not holding resent to someone because of some negative feedback. Well, and, and we go through our entire childhood with teachers. We grow up having teachers teach us. And then we get into the real world as adults and there's no more teachers. Like we grow, we grow by learning and finding somebody that can teach you how to do things in business is so imperative. And if you don't have somebody learn, read books, do whatever you can, find ways of learning and growing because you need that. You've got to continue to learn. So if you could go back in time and give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Uh, the biggest thing I would have said to myself um, going way back in time is start with myself and, uh, and a job and a career for myself. Don't work for anybody else. Um, take my own path originally. I talk to people all the time about quitting their jobs and being their own boss and, and going down the road of their own business. I'm helping a friend right now. We have weekly calls because he's just started full-time in his business. And I give him all the support I can. And I, I tell people, just, you know, do it for yourself. And if I could have done that earlier in my life, I could only imagine how successful we would be. And I assume that changes your mentality with employees a little bit as well. So some, some businesses and owners are very strict on not letting their employees go out and do more. So if, if one of your top employees, for example, came to you and said, hey, Sheldon, I, I, I think I want to start my own business. I'm assuming your response would be support, supporting them on how you can. Absolutely. You know, and I've, I've actually had a couple of people that have left me before and I've given them full support and even stayed friends with them and given support after the fact, because my goal at the end of the day is I want to see them happy and you should be happy. If you're not happy here, you need to be happy somewhere else. At the end of the day, that's a big part of it. So if I can do something that helps you do that, I'm going to do that because, you know, I don't want the people that are here to leave. That's why I've done what I did for them through COVID because they are my family. They mean more to me than they could probably ever imagine. But that's why I'm willing to commit to them and help them in ways that it's not just a job. I don't want the, them to come here and think about punching out at the end of the day and running home. And we don't have a punch clock either. Um, but I want them, I want them to enjoy being here and enjoy the people around them and come to work happy every day. So I want to support that in any way I can. How do you define success then? Success is about money, a lot of people think. And, and in some regards, it is. You know, uh, at the end of the day, success is gauged by the outside world as money. Uh, for me, 
I was thinking about what success is to me. And I think what a lot of it is, is in business, it's what my customers say about me. I read my Google reviews and people say things about me by name. And that means a lot. And so what my customers say about me means success. Um, in my family life, what my family says about me uh, would define my success. If, if I'm doing the right things and being in, in the right mood when I'm with them and the right frame of mind, they're happy and, and they're saying good things about me. And it's the same thing, same thing for my employees. Uh, for me to be successful as, as an employer is having employees that are happy and that think I'm doing a good job and doing what I can and that they're happy to come here. So success, I guess, is more than money. Uh, and I'll never say that money is not a part of it because philosophically, it's nice to say that it's not. But re in reality, success is things we have and, and the growth and, um, you know, the big building I'm in and those things, those somewhat define success. But really, it's what people say about you that will ultimately define your success. When you die and the people that show up at your funeral are talking about you, that's your success. Like, if nobody shows up to your funeral, you weren't a success. And if people come and they say good things, you were a success. Yeah, and I think it comes up down to a, a big part of how you treat others. And you're very open and giving and an understanding of people. And I think that that just grows success as well, because I was using the analogy of you're in that big building because of the way that you've treated others and your customers and your employees and your family. If you didn't yep. treat them like that, they wouldn't be that big building. 100%. And I said, I said even earlier in, in this discussion that I am nothing without my employees. Like I can't run this business alone when it comes to running the studio. If I had to go into the control room and do the stuff that Colin does, I'd be lost. Um, I, I follow his orders. When we go out on a job, um, if we're doing a tent job, Colin is the boss on a tent job. I follow orders. I'm, I'm no more or less than any other employee. I literally follow his orders. And that's, I think, a huge thing. So many other organizations don't do that, but I know where my strength is. My strength is dealing with customers and sales and doing other things like that. But I couldn't tell you how to do the tent the right way. So I follow orders. If Colin tells me to grab the jackhammer and put in the stakes, I do that. Uh, if he tells me to lace up the tent, I lace up the tent. I don't question. I just do what I'm told because that's his role. And I give him that full power because he means that much to the organization too. That's awesome. All right, Sheldon. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Well, I can't thank you enough, Mark, for, for what you're doing for our industry as well. Uh, spreading the word and doing what you do is absolutely fantastic, and I really do appreciate it. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Ken Arts Hire.